You're listening to episode 112 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. Well, I hope everyone is doing well. Over the last couple of weeks, we've begun to uh, meet in person again in our church, which has taken a lot of work and time as we've reopened services, although things are going really well and we're thankful for the opportunity. I've got some great conversations coming up here on the podcast over the next couple of months. Uh, Some in the last couple of weeks you've probably seen have been really important as well as some that are scheduled out in the weeks to come. So if you haven't subscribed, make sure and do it. You're not going to want to miss those. But today's episode is one, uh, a personal episode, just a monologue, but one that I've waited a long time to be able to bring you. Uh, A lot of work, really four years of work, have gone into the announcement I've got in this episode. And so uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's as meaningful to you as it is to me. Thanks for listening. Well, I have some big news to share with you at last. I've been working for over four years to be able to release this episode. A few weeks ago, I received an offer of publication from Zondervan. This past week, I finally signed that contract. But for those of you who have followed the show and know about the Samson book that I've long been working on, it might surprise you to know that that isn't the book that was purchased by Zondervan, at least not exactly. One of the awkward parts of this podcast has been that I've been talking about writing and publishing for the past two and a half years, having never actually published any book in my life. This is the part where I finally get to tell you how I did it, how all of my plans have finally paid off, how you only need to do what I've done, bada bing, bada boom, a publishing contract. The truth is, this has been one of the hardest things I've ever done, and there have been times when I didn't know if it would ever actually happen. There have been some really challenging obstacles and some twists that I didn't expect. My agent admitted that it was one of the longest processes she had ever gone through to receive a contract. My path has been unconventional, providential, and generally speaking, not something I could offer or expect anyone else to go through. At least, I hope this isn't what everyone else goes through to publish a book. The other thing you should hear me say right at the beginning is that a publishing contract is not what you think it is, and it won't do for you what you might think it would. That being said, this is also a gift and one that I'm deeply humbled by and grateful for. During our stay-at-home orders a few months ago, I introduced my son to one of my favorite childhood memories. Uh, You've probably seen it, the movie Cool Runnings. The main character was obsessed with making it to the Olympics and taking home a gold medal. His coach offered him a piece of wise advice. I've been thinking about that saying a lot. A gold medal is a wonderful thing, but if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. My brother has spent the better part of the last decade serving in the U.S. Marine Corps. He explains how the Marine Corps' job is to take all the things you loved doing and thought would be fun and ruin them. We grew up camping and hiking and shooting, but a drill sergeant and several weeks in the woods can ruin even those hobbies you loved as a kid. Publishing can be a little bit like that. It's a long road to get there, and when you arrive, some of the excitement has leaked out along the way. Really, what you feel is the pressure. At first, you think, if I could just write a full manuscript for a book, wouldn't that be rewarding? By the time you've done that, the goal, the line, has shifted to finding an agent. Soon after that, you start looking for a publisher. With a publisher, you quickly realize there are expectations for sales and platform. 
Then after that, how your first book does really sets the course for future opportunities. And I'm not one to be hard on publishers in this process. The truth is, Zondervan is taking most of the risk in this endeavor. They pay me a modest advance, which represents a small fraction of what they will be required to pay in printing, advertising, promoting, and their team's time for editing and design. The more writing you do, the more you realize the importance of that team. It is a team effort, and the team invests in that risk. There's a lot more at stake than my own sense of finally feeling like a writer. I owe it to that team to do the best I can with this whole endeavor. I guess what I'm trying to point out is that it is a long road with all kinds of evolving pressures, but it's also worth it. And honestly, the long process, four years of having worked on this, has forced me to be better at it and to think more deeply about what I'm doing. The reality is, I'm really grateful for all the time that it's taken. I'm incredibly excited about the opportunity, humbled by it, and ready to keep working towards that goal. And I'm also deeply thankful for you as listeners. Honestly, it's this community that has made this book even a possibility. I'll always be thankful to you for listening. And some of you have been listening for a long time, for the whole two years, from the very beginning. And I mean it when I say thank you so much for that time you've invested as well. This won't be a long episode, but what I thought I would do is give you a quick summary of what's ahead for my own writing and maybe a couple of the lessons that I've learned through this process of coming under contract. Most listeners will know that I have a completed manuscript based on the story of Samson from the Book of Judges. The book looks at our culture's idea that your identity is something you have to search for in your passions and desires out there in adventure. What's holding you back are the suffocating expectations of family and tradition and religion. I use the story of Samson to help particularly millennial men see the value of deeper commitments, to recognize that an identity is something that we receive, not something that we achieve out there on the horizon. I spent over a year writing that manuscript. I poured a lot of myself and my own story and time and investment into it. I paid to go through two rounds of editing the entire book. It was that manuscript that helped me find an agent, and we did actually receive an offer of publication for it. But it wasn't quite that simple. As a part of every book proposal, you provide some future projects that you're thinking about. Some of you will know from past episodes, I've been working on a second manuscript around the life of David that addresses the idea of integrity and the ways in which men often disengage from the complexity of their lives, instead choosing to live out only the external roles. I had another future project after that that was just some rough outlines and ideas that used Moses stories to talk about questions of purpose and vision in life. I was really excited when we got a call from one of the editors at Zondervan who wanted to talk about the proposal. Again, we were pitching the Samson book. What I hadn't expected was for them to pitch me a book idea. What if we combined several of these ideas and we combined multiple biblical characters to look more comprehensively at the issues that are facing men? That was their question to me. At first, I felt probably like you could imagine. So you want me to write an entirely different book. You want me to take the 70,000 words on Samson, condense it down to maybe two chapters, and add all the other characters now. But I agreed to spend some time praying and thinking about it and working out an outline for what a book like that could look like. Why not? The truth is, the more I worked on it, the more I liked the idea. It would allow me to address a wider range of men and address some of the bigger cultural trends that I see. It would be a better entry point for a larger readership. 
you can't say yes to every idea that people throw at you because you get a lot of them when you start talking about what you're working on. But as I began to outline that idea, I began to see the real potential of it. I outlined these common masculine instincts and started to feel more and more like we were onto something. I would get to use some of the Samson material, and what I didn't use, I could always use on the Past Writer blog. And honestly, the more I thought about it, I realized that I'm a better writer today than I was four years ago when I started working on the Samson book. I knew I could do better now than I had done then, as much as I valued the work that had began this whole process. That's what really got me excited. The interviews on this podcast and much of my own blogging and article writing has given me clarity about what I do and how I can speak best to certain issues. I know so much more than I did when I started, and if writing that first book was just the dues I had to pay to land this next opportunity, a really a better one, then it was worth it. But a new book also means a much longer timeline. I'm now under contract to deliver this new manuscript by February of 2021. I might not see a publication date until late 2021 or maybe early 2022, who, who knows? That means I will have been working towards this goal for at least six years when that book finally does come out. And by working, I mean every week, whether it's the show or articles or the research or the writing of the manuscripts themselves, there have been very few weeks over the last four years that I haven't somehow pursued that goal of writing. Here is where I feel capable of offering you a small and humble lesson. If I have learned anything during these last few years, it's patience. Look, there are reasons and situations that necessitate expediency in publishing. That can lead some people to take a much different path than I have. But for me, though it has been at times excruciating, the waiting has been good. It's taught me that all the goal setting and planning really is out of my control. I can only control the work that is in front of me. Usually that's a stack of books and a blank Word document. Often that's far less than I might want it to be or wish it was, but that's the work I actually have to do. You have to learn to love that process, to be faithful to where you are and what's actually in front of you, to be able to recognize that as the true work. The moment you rush or take shortcuts or lose heart, you really lose the whole thing. It is, to borrow a phrase from one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, a long obedience in the same direction. It's a pilgrimage. You just keep going. Even now, it's that same path, and isn't it always that same path? There's so much more to be done and so much that is out of your control. There are milestones, but never really an arrival, always more that comes next. There's always more to discover and more to learn and more to be faithful to. You can only do the work at the end of the day that God has placed in front of you. Honestly, that faithfulness is the same requirement it takes whether you're writing a 500-word article for your personal blog or showing up day after day to write a 60,000-word book for a publisher. You just try to be honest, humble, and faithful with the actual hard work of writing. The second lesson is just as important, and telling you my story creates a big risk that I realize. It's good to set goals and keep goals, but don't fall in love with a future that you've imagined, some idea about being a published author. There's nothing wrong with having those goals, but who knows what God is going to do. I could never have imagined how any of this process would have evolved or turned out. I don't know where it's going next, to be honest with you. I have ideas and goals I'm working towards, and I know the publisher has ideas and goals that they would like to hit. 
I can work towards them, but half the fun is seeing what God does with it all, especially when you can't control it. Isn't that what writing is? And isn't that what so much of life by faith is? Do you remember those Annie Dillard words that are famous in the opening of her book, The Writing Life? She writes, when you write, you lay out a line of words. The line of words is a miner's pick, a wood carver's gouge, a surgeon's probe. You wield it, and it digs a path you follow. Soon you find yourself deep in new territory. Is it a dead end, or have you located the real subject? You will know tomorrow, or this time next year. You make the path boldly and follow it fearfully. You go where the path leads. At the end of the path, you find a box canyon. You hammer out reports, dispatch bulletins. The writing has changed in your hands, and in a twinkling, from an expression of your notions to an epistemological tool. The new place interests you because it is not clear. You attend. In your humility, you lay down the words carefully, watching all the angles. Now the early writing looks soft and careless, processes nothing, erase your tracks. The path is not the work. I hope your tracks have grown over. I hope birds ate the crumbs. I hope you will toss it all and not look back. And, of course, those other famous words from her book. One of the few things I know about writing is this. Spend it all. Shoot it. Play it. Lose it. All. Right away. Every time. Do not hoard what seems good for a later place in the book or for another book. Give it. Give it all. Give it now. The impulse to save something good for a better place later is the signal to spend it now. Something more will arise for later, something better. These things fill from behind, from beneath, like well water. Similarly, the impulse to keep to yourself what you have learned is not only shameful, it is destructive. Anything you do not give freely and abundantly becomes lost to you. You open your safe and find ashes. I've tried to make the point already that you don't write to get published. That's not a good enough goal to carry you through the process. You don't write to have written or to feel like a writer. You write because you don't know what else to do with it. How else would you worship? How else would you think more deeply about God and your life in him? How else would you follow him? How else would you be faithful to him? For better or for worse, having abandoned the idol of being somebody, of being a writer with a capital W... The humble task of actually writing is what's left. So you do it. You do it to be faithful to God, to neighbors, most that you'll never meet, knowing that this is the work, for better or worse, for reasons sometimes unknown to you, that God has put in front of you. Someone asked me the other day when I first felt like a writer. Truthfully, and I really mean this without sounding pretentious, I don't know if I ever even think about that. I write because I feel like I should. No one makes me do it. It doesn't pay my bills. It doesn't always leave me happy and content. It often awakens things that I didn't know were there. It often forces me to repent, sometimes to walk away, sometimes to walk back, sometimes to sit down, sometimes to stand up. But like I said, I still feel like I'm supposed to do it. What more can I say than that? One more from Annie Dillard. After all, she won the Pulitzer Prize, not me. At its best, the sensation of writing is that of any unmerited grace. It is handed to you, but only if you look for it. You search, you break your heart, your back, your brain, and then, and only then, 
is it handed to you? So with that announcement, be looking for a book. Sometime, maybe a year or two down the road, who knows, maybe more. Until then, I'm going to keep at it. Having these conversations on the podcast, writing what I feel like the Lord is leading me into. And I'm really honestly and truly grateful that you've been a part of it. Here's to many more episodes, many more words to come. And as always, thanks for listening. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 112. As I mentioned in the introduction, I'm really excited about some of the guests I have coming up in the following weeks. And so if you haven't already, consider subscribing to the show. You'll get notifications about new episodes. And while you're there, maybe leave a review. You can do it by clicking one of the star ratings or typing out a short message. It's one of the best ways for me to get feedback about the show and to help others find it. As always, thanks for listening.